0: Again. back at it again ready to rock and roll ready to roll and rock
1: hmm yeah we'll switch up <laughs> all right <laughs> well if you guys didn't know i'm ray and i'm charlotte this is the midnight record Midnight
0: Record.
1: <laughs> Da-na-na. Da-na-na.
0: Thank you. Can't harmonize so nice. very well,
1: but I do a little something.
0: She she She's good with the accompaniment, for sure. I just, sure.
1: a little pizzazz, Pretty if so you will. Tiny, if bit. you will. Might not be on tune, but it is mm-hmm. something. It's a little something. Yeah, a little something so special. Weirdly. Just for y'all. <clears throat> All right. Mm-hmm. So, today, we have a Charlotte-focused episode. That's you. It is me. That's you. It's me. And I have no idea what you're talking about. You don't. You
0: definitely I don't. Like,
1: I like that we're, uh keeping secrets they're good secrets they're secret surprises
0: not like business secrets but you know just right
1: (laughs) surprise just slight surprises right i like it because then i uh i don't know it's fun to look forward to like hearing what each other is going to be talking about like not knowing
0: yeah um so before i get into this case mystery case um ray you're a marylander
1: i am now, how how far away are you? Did you grow up from Baltimore? Um, literally, like takes about thirty minutes to get to the city. Okay,
0: so I'm sure, as you all know, Baltimore is a very Catholic city, right? So, what do you know about the disappearance of Sister Kathy? I knew that. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Do you um, know much about this case? Like, do you
1: remember when so things were,
0: like, breaking? and No.
1: So, uh, what what time what time period was this in? To think. I was so probably young. So, she disappeared in
0: 1969, but... Right. Uh, so, obviously, I sexual, didn't know that one. <laughs> there were sexual abuse allegations that came out in, like, 94. So, you've no, so, been, like, Yeah, I was, like, four,
1: three, four years old. Okay. So, no. Don't... Wasn't uh, aware.
0: Yeah. But during 20 that time. But in 2016, 2017, there was a little bit more resurgence on the case yeah and of course the documentary came out in late 2017 see it
1: wasn't until the netflix docu-series that i um like really even knew about the case actually so that was like my first introduction to it because obviously when it came out on netflix like a lot of people were talking about it then of course like people in my area were talking about it like even more so because that's the area where we're from a lot of people are very familiar with um some different places or locations that are talked about throughout the series. So it just like adds another layer to the buzz and to the like connection to the case. Of
0: course. Do you know um, about Keough high school where this happened?
1: So I I didn't actually know about the high school, but I'm familiar with the area that it's in. So like I've, I think it's, it's kind of like near the Towson area, which I frequented a lot, uh, whether it be there, there was this like big mall there that we always used to go to Mm or um, it's, house and university is in that area so um there's a lot of like bars and stuff that we would go to in that area Mm -hmm. as well so familiar with the area i wasn't actually i hadn't heard of the school before specifically Mm
0: -hmm. no all right so this is a case that i am super passionate about and have been for quite a few years this is going to be a fairly in-depth episode but Um, I will absolutely put below some resources that I used. Um, Definitely watch The Keepers on Netflix. Uh, I think that's a great documentary for this case because you hear directly from the survivors Mm -hmm. everything that went on there. And it's creepy. It's creepy, but also like you can't really convey that story Other than coming from them, right. And um, also, I would like to shout out Cassidy of the Hippie Catholic, um, who reached out to me and um, sent me uh, some of her resources about this case because it's something that Cassidy is also really uh, passionate about. So thank you so much. And um, yeah, I guess we'll, I guess we'll uh, jump into it. Mm -hmm. All right. Buckle up, strapping
1: in, because I already baby. know this is going to be a
0: wild ride. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, also like serious trigger warning. Oh, yeah. There is a lot I'm going to be going into a lot of uh, sexual abuses, allegations, um, uh, some religious abuse. Uh, so, if those are things that trigger you. Thank you for so much, but I totally understand if we'll see you next week or um, what you just do whatever you need to do to make sure that you okay. are OK <laughs> and you're good to go. Sister Catherine Sesnick or Sister Kathy, as I will mainly refer to her, um, disappeared and died in the fall of 1969. For over two decades, she was barely spoken of. Um, not until 1994, when allegations of foul play arose around Baltimore, Maryland, did her case get a fire burning again. Um, she was buried on the side of a steep hill in a suburb of Pittsburgh where she grew up. And her gravestone only has one short statement on it. Um, it reads, Sister Catherine Sesnick, SSND, 1942-1969, to 52 years later, her death is still unsolved. Catherine Ann Sesnick was born on November 17th, 1942, in the Lawrenceville neighborhood of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She was the oldest child of Joseph and Anna Sesnick. Um, Her paternal grandparents were... Slovenians who immigrated from Yugoslavia and her maternal grandfather came from Yugoslavia as well, and her maternal grandmother came from Austria. Um, Sister Kathy had three siblings. She attended St. Mary's School on 57th Street and St. Augustine High School, both in Lawrenceville, PA. She was the valedictorian at the graduation of her high school class in 1960 after being um, the May Queen and the president of the senior class and the student council. So, a very popular and likable person from the get go, essentially. She joined the School Sisters of Notre Dame when she was 18 years old. so the school sisters of Notre Dame are a worldwide religious institute um, of Roman Catholic sisters founded in Bavaria in 1933 and they are primarily devoted to uh, primary secondary and post secondary education most of the sisters who go through this organization mainly serve as teachers lawyers accountants nurses administrators therapists social workers pastoral ministers social justice advocates and much more so this specific uh convent uh i sorry also i'm not catholic so i apologize if i use the wrong terminality i grew up lutheran which is like diet catholic but we don't have
1: nuns i was technically lutheran as well but uh we weren't like super regular um with it so Mm. you could say anything and i'd be like yep (laughs) yep that's that's correct
0: so just if I'm getting things wrong, like, right. just take that know. into account. Yeah. I did do as much as I possibly could. But
1: right. I it's, don't. it's hard. So, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. So as I was saying, um, the women who go into this specific order, uh, are very focused on community life and ministry, like through that community life and really giving back to whatever community they're in. Um, So Sister Kathy started teaching drama and English at Archbishop Keough High School in Baltimore, Maryland in 1965. That was the first year that the school was open. She was beloved by all those around her. Her students would later recall that Sister Kathy would have been looked at as like a big sister. She exemplified the spirit of compassion and kindness. She made all of her students really feel like they were individuals and they weren't just like a number on a roster to yeah. her and she really helped a lot of these young women blossom into their fullest selves yeah. um again like watching any of the interviews with any of her ex-students especially through the documentary the keepers mm-hmm. um it's very it's very touching it's yeah. very clear that That Sister Kathy had a huge impact. impact. Yeah. And a lot of them said that they looked at her as like an older... Like a big sister or like an aunt figure because she was pretty close to them in age. When she Mm -hmm. started working at Kyo, she was only 23. Right. 20, you
1: know, 22, 23. Yeah. She was probably able to relate to them a lot. Absolutely. More than like, say, like a 50-year-old teacher or something.
0: And so many of them would, you know, also say in a lot of interviews, like... you know, I never thought that a nun could be like cool. Like sister Kathy was and understanding of like individuality. Yes. And and, like very compassionate. And she, you know, (laughs) also gave them curriculum that they didn't think that they would necessarily read in an English class, Mm -hmm. um, at a Catholic high school, like the Scarlet letter and like Romeo and Juliet. And, um, you know, a lot of them really respected her for that too, because she, wanted them to sort of see a, a little bit of everything, I guess, yeah. or as much as she could.
1: Right. She pushed the limits a bit. Yeah. Did things that weren't typical, I guess, for Catholic high school. Yeah. And to hear the way that her
0: colleagues, her students, and everybody who knew her speak about her is really beautiful. Like it's very um it's incredibly touching. So mm-hmm. Um, also, like, she exemplified the phrase beautiful inside and out. On November 7th, 1969, she left school around 2.30 in the afternoon, just after it was a very typical day at the high school. She left the apartment she shared with Sister Helen Russell Phillips at the Carriage House Apartments at 131 North Bend Road in Catonsville, Wait, Catonsville. Catonsville. Catonsville, thank you. Mm-hmm. In Catonsville, headed to at the Edmondson Village Shopping Center, um, which which was less than two miles away from her apartment, to purchase a, a gift for her sister's engagement at Hex Jewelry Store around seven p.m.
1: My grandma worked at Hex. <laughs> wow! When it was still a thing, yeah, they they closed them all down, but yeah, Aww. she used to work at Hex.
0: That's so cute. So cute. <laughs> Yeah, so her sister had just gotten engaged, and she had mentioned to a student earlier that day that she needed to go buy a present, like just a little something to celebrate her engagement. She also cashed a paycheck at First National Bank in Catonsville that night. Catonsville, Catonsville. <laughs> damn it, like Kate, Caitlin, oh Caitlin, Kate. Uh, also Catonsville. in Catonsville that night. Um, there were reports that she may have purchased uh some dinner rolls at Molly's bakery in Edmondson Village since there was a box of buns from the bakery that was found in the front seat of her car. Mm. Um but uh from what I understand the reason why it's like alleged is because like I don't think there any witnesses came forward to say that she right. was there. Or they didn't I mean, really they, like They
1: couldn't tell when she had bought them or something. Yeah,
0: they didn't know exactly what where when in the timeline she They probably didn't have, like,
1: receipt or anything or...
0: No, and of course, like, security cameras wasn't a thing either, so... And if it was, like, a busy... And she was was using cash. And it was a Friday afternoon, so I'm sure everyone is super, you know... I'm sure they were busy, so... Um, Yeah, so the residents at the apartment complex noticed Sister Kathy in her car at approximately 8.30 p.m. that night... Um, but others spotted the car illegally parked across the street two hours later. What is most sure is that sister Kathy never made it back to her apartment. Right. Um, Mary Spence, a student at Keogh, had been out with a girlfriend of hers that Friday evening. They looked in the school's, uh, phone book when you actually had physical phone books. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) yeah, same. Uh, to find out where their teachers lived, um, she was in the front of Joseph Noon's house, who was a teacher at Keogh, um, which was only like a block or two away from Sister Kathy's mm-hmm. apartment. Um, Mary recalls that you know they were just like there, like giggling, like oh he's in his undershirt and like oh like, yeah. It's like, just just, like yeah, like just being kids, yeah, just being like causing goofy. some mischief essentially. And um, uh, Mary Spence recalls at one point that there was a loud booming voice yelling and it was coming from the direction of sister Kathy and sister Russell's apartment. Um, Mary Spence later states that it sounded like some sort of violence was coming from that direction and it scared her and her friend enough that they bolted. Sister Russell started to become worried about sister Kathy when she had not returned from her shopping trip around midnight. She became worried enough that she called father Gerard J. Kube, who taught religion at the high school and with whom Sister Kathy had developed a friendship with. And uh, Father Jerry and Brother Pete McKinnon had gone and seen a movie in downtown Baltimore earlier that evening. Um, and they were actually back at, I believe it was uh, Jerry Coob's place mm-hmm. when the phone rang and Sister Russell called. Um and they immediately got in their car and drove to Catonsville.
1: Yeah. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> Third <laughs> time's a charm. Um,
0: when they arrived, Sister Russell described the situation, and that's when Father Coob suggested that they call the police. When the police arrived, uh, also, like Jerry Coob later says in interviews, that he. They get there around midnight. They probably listen to Sister Russell for, like, close to an hour before they actually call the police. Mm-hmm. So by this point, it's 1 a.m. She... Sister Russell hasn't seen her in six hours. Right. When the police arrived, they were describing Sister Kathy as a missing person. Um, the police officer took everything down and then he just left. Father Coob ended up performing a mass and they actually left some communion bread for Sister Kathy still hoping that she would show up later that night. So right. um, from my research, uh, you you know, there's obviously, like, weekly Mass, but you can also hold communion and Mass for times of strife or trouble to, I don't know, give you comfort, right. essentially. And again, during this Mass, they're really hopeful that she'll still just, like, walk in through the right. front door. Um, Sister Kathy's car in muddy condition was, was found by Father Coob and Brother Peter illegally parked across from her apartment complex at 440 the next morning um pete they had gone for like a walk essentially um and that's when they found her car Mm -hmm. and it's literally 50 feet away from her parking spot right um the car had (laughs) twigs leaves and mud inside of the car so clearly the car had been through some sort of swamp land they believe um and the way that it was parked, it was jutting out a little bit into the street. And, but again, like, it was only 50 feet away from her parking spot. So neighbors said, you know, around 10.30, 11 p.m. that they saw her car parked illegally over there. But I also think, like, when the police have seen it as well, maybe? So was it mm-hmm. parked there after the police
1: left? Right. You'd think. Because, like, I know the, the way it was parked... Uh, from what I've seen um, in, like, the documentary and stuff. It was, like, just a very awkward position. And, like, very... it's It stands out a lot. Like, it was kind of hanging out almost. It's like, this is... There was, like, a curve, you know? Mm-hmm. It was a curve,
0: and it was sort of parked, like... Like that. Like... Kind of disarray. Yeah, it sort of looks like someone, like, just turned really quickly, turned off the car,
1: and got right, out of there. Right, right. It doesn't look like... Uh, <clears throat> Very well done park job. It was something that if you were driving by, you'd be like, why is that car sitting like that?
0: I would literally drive by and be like, oh, that person was hammered. Right. Yeah. Or something like, or they were, you know, something happened, distress or something. Right. Something happened. Well, clearly whoever parks the car there, they wanted it to be found. And it certainly wasn't Sister Kathy. They didn't try to hide it. I'm going to briefly take a small break from Sister Kathy's case. I'm going to talk about another strange murder that happened just a few days after Sister Kathy went missing, Mm -hmm. and that's of Joyce Malecki. Joyce Malecki was born on June 12th, 1949, and was a native to Baltimore. What is it called? A Baltimore. Baltimore Baltimorean. Baltimorean. Yeah, sure. (laughs) She's the Baltimorean. And (laughs) so, like I said, she went missing only four days after Sister Kathy did and only 3.3 miles away from sister, from where Sister Kathy went missing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very similar scenario. The car was found on the side of the road, the door opened, and she was gone. Both girls had gone missing with no sign of struggle. Keys were still in the ignition, and both women had gone shopping that evening. Two days after her disappearance, Joyce's body was discovered partially submerged on the bank of, of the Little Patuxent River, at Fort Meade Soldier Park training area by two hunters constructing a deer blind. She was found with her hands tied behind her back, scratches and bruises on her body, indicating that she had struggled with her assailant.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> An autopsy performed the cause of death was either by choking or drowning. A single, knife wo- a single knife wound was found in Joyce's throat, but it was insufficient to the cause of death. Right. Um She had approximately 15 superficial cuts on the neck and abrasions on her forehead, nose, and chin. Joyce's body was found on federal property, and the case was therefore under FBI jurisdiction. At the time, FBI agents believed that it was a possible link to Sister Kathy's disappearance. Again... Both women had gone shopping earlier that evening, they had similar builds, and they both disappeared within days of each other. However, the Bureau was unable to conclusively link the two cases. Edwin R. Tully, special FBI agent in charge of the Baltimore field office, claimed to have a number of suspects. The Bureau remains the lead agency for this case, and despite information circling circulating online the investigation had not been handed over to uh, the county police department Um, because again she was found on federal property so the FBI can't like give the local county police jurisdiction but also the FBI doesn't know the area as well as like a local police department doesn't really know who the key players might be Mm -hmm. in any sort of mischief or situation like this. Right. So back to Sister Kathy. Immediately after Sister Kathy's disappearance, police searched the area for her body without success. The investigation was ran by Captain John, Captain John Barnold, who was the chief of homicide for Baltimore PD. He was the youngest captain on the force at the time, um, being 38 years old. At first, he was quoted to say that there was no foul play in the case. However, as time kept passing and they couldn't find Sister Kathy, it seemed not so much to be the case. Mm-hmm. Science started to point more towards murder or kidnapping. Um, at the time in Baltimore, there were roughly 200 homicides, numerous assaults, and sex offenses a year. And it was difficult for the captain to devote all of his time to one case. So he trusted his supervisors to really dive into the two cases of Joyce and Sister Kathy. Um, However, the Baltimore PD had investigated numerous people. um, Students, colleagues, friends, her roommate, um, and nothing was really coming up to them. Mm Mm-hmm. On January 3rd, 1970, so almost two months later to the day, a little less than two months, Sister Kathy's body was found by a hunter and his son in an informal landfill located on the 2100 block of Monumental Road in in the remote area of Lansdowne, which was about five miles away from where Sister Kathy had gone shopping. Um... Captain James Skinnell was the first one on the scene. Sister Kathy's body had been found 20 yards off the road. Uh, James Skinnell later has said in interviews um, that he thinks that perhaps she was just thrown out of a car. Her body was thrown out of a car and it sort of just rolled downhill and just stopped. Right. It wasn't, like, placed there. Right. Sister Kathy was found on her back on the side of a hill. Her clothes were stripped down to her waist. Her purse was laying beside her. And the condition of the body indicated that she had been there for a while. There was no blood around her to indicate shooting or stabbing. And according to Werner Spritz, who um, is the medical examiner on the scene, the body had clearly been sexually assaulted violently. Mm. Um, so... This like wonderful human being was found in a garbage dump. Yeah. With her skull caved in.
1: Yeah. And clearly assaulted.
0: And assaulted. As well. It's the the thing that like really kills me about like when they find her is the fact that she was just Literally thrown in the garbage, right? Somebody who clearly had a huge impact on like everyone who was around her, yeah. And we see it way too often with cases, but I don't know what it is. But when I was like researching it and I like read that again, mm-hmm. I like got I started getting like really
1: upset, yeah. I was really bummed out. Um, yeah, it's sad. I cried. And it's 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 no way that a human should be treated in general. I mean. First off, the killing in general, but just like I don't know, the just disposal of her as if she was nothing. It's as well. yeah, it's just and just so disrespectful. Yeah, and and just also I think on top of that, like with some of these cases, we don't really have um, I guess the the resources that this case have with the interviews with people who have known her. Um, And the the Netflix docuseries, like, really, really, like, just hearing the impact that she had on some of these people's lives, like, firsthand, Mm -hmm. really, like, just kind of um, makes it harder to hear what happened to her. Like, we we do a lot of cases, and they're all equally horrible, but, like, we don't always have the chance to hear, like, these firsthand um, Mm -hmm. kind of, like, interviews with people who were close to the victims. So I think that is probably a big part of it as well. Absolutely.
0: So, an autopsy performed by uh, Werner Spitz determined that Sister Kathy died from an intracerebral hemorrhage following a fracture to her skull from a blow on her left temple by a blunt instrument. Um, She also had, like, a small, like, hole in that area. Um, So, obviously, like ton of force. Um, The the Chicago. We're not in Chicago. The Baltimore PD (laughs) Mm -hmm. developed a story about Sister Kathy's disappearance and death. She was most likely kidnapped at the Edmondson Shopping Center and killed. However, the most troubling and probably the part that doesn't make the most sense to me with that theory is that is where her car was found. Like, why would the killer put himself in potential danger to get caught by taking her car back to where he could be easily spotted driving her car. And it just doesn't make sense to me because that theory also just doesn't make sense because neighbors reported seeing her in the parking lot of the apartment... in her spot in the apartment complex at 8.30. Mm -hmm. Also, the area where they found her body was very out of the way. It's not a typical... According to the Baltimore PD, it's not a typical body dumping area. Yeah,
1: you know. Great. Run of the so, mill. Usually they dump them in the harbor. Yeah.
0: You're like, eh, eh, eh Baltimore. <laughs> no, it was like, literally, like, all the time, like,
1: growing up, we would just, like, hear about, like, bodies found in the harbor. Like, whenever I would be, like, in the inner harbor in Baltimore, I'd be like, oh, there's your body in the water. Like, it, they're found quite often. That doesn't the surprise there. me. Yeah. Um, so, most likely the killer...
0: Had to know the area very intimately to put her body there, or right. to think to put her body there. Um, this will be very important while I go through some of the suspects later. Mm. Baltimore has always been a quintessential Catholic city. In fact, John Carroll founded the first archdiocese in Baltimore in the late 1700s. Mm-hmm. Um, Keo Archbishop Keough High School was like the, gra- the like the crown jewel. Of Catholic schools to go to in the 60s and 70s. Like I said, it was built in 65. You had to take a test to get in. And if you got in, it was a huge honor. Also, it was an all-girls school. I should have mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Um, But with it being a new school, they had all these labs and resources and, like, a theater and, like, all the, you know, all this. All the, literally the works. Mm -hmm. And... So again, it, it was really an honor to get into the school. In 2017, CBS Baltimore reported allegations from three women that during Sister Kathy's tenure at, at Keio, two of the priests, Joseph Maskell and E. Neil Magnus, were sexually abusing the girls at the school in addition to trafficking them to others. Jean Hergadden Werner, a student at Keogh, alleged she first confided in Father Neil Magnus in 1968 about sexual abuse she was subjected to at the hands of her uncle when she was a child. Beginning at 14 years old, the abuse continued from 1968 to 1972 so from when she was a freshman to the time that she left, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Magnus then sexually abused Jean and blamed her for her promiscuity. He referred to his semen as the Eucharist. Um, and he would also do him- symbols of the crucifix with his semen while he performed these abuses as if the act itself was sacred or that he was super sacred because he was a quote unquote like man of God in a direct line to God. Uh, he also referred to mm. it. He also referred to his semen as the Holy Spirit that Jane Goodbye. was to swallow. Goodbye. 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 Good day. Forward. That's it. Good day and farewell. Mm, um, never to see again. Like, disgusting.
1: So yeah. gross. um, So not okay to like. And to, to try to use like religion to make this abuse seem justified in a sense.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, this guy Magnus isn't even like the tip of the fucking iceberg. Right. Um, we're going to get into somebody else <laughs> later who is literally, I think, the spawn of Satan. Yes. Um, but the reason why I'm going over the sexual allegations from the school, because it's very important, it's a key piece in Sister Kathy's murder and disappearance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you can fast forward through this po- portion if you want. Um, and also if you need to peace out. We completely understand. Right. All right. Cause at some point when I was like crazy, I was like, ah, I gotta take a break. Yeah, Right. Gotta take a break. Yeah, it's a lot. So <clears throat> later that same year, Joseph father Joseph Maskell started to join in the abuse with Father Magnus. Um, Jean stated that she was far more frightened of Maskell who she found to be more intimidating and threatening. Maskell mm. repeatedly called her a whore and forced her to swallow his semen as well, also claiming that she was receiving the Holy Spirit through his penis. And they fucking... it's, it's, like... it's not just physical and sexual abuse, but it's emotional and spiritual and mental because... Right. These are... This is a community, and these are girls who have grown up in this incredibly rigorous Catholic community, the majority of them, most of their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having, you know, the priests in the community are, like, the authoritative figures. You don't say no to a priest. Mm -hmm. They know better than you. Right. I mean, they were even put higher above police officers in a lot of ways. Um. And it's uh, incredibly, incredibly disturbing. And um, I'm going to only be talking about a couple of women who came out with uh, their survivor stories. But there are a lot. Entirely too many.
1: Yeah.
0: One is too many. Right, that's what I was going to say. But still. Um, So... Not only was she outnumbered in this situation, but she was outnumbered by two powerful men of God, men who she viewed as the end all be all for authority and salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, like the serious mental fucked upness that these men had to be in the head to like think of the things that they could do to her are like absolutely deplorable because. Yeah. To be like, oh, what can I take from this religion and use it it. towards this person to force them do whatever I want them to do, essentially. And also, she's 14 when it starts. Mm -hmm. Um, And she had already been through sexual abuse from a family member. right? And that's why she was getting... She went to confession because she already felt like... Unworthy, and right. then on top of it, you know, Terrible. it's just bad. It's really hor- like horrifying. Mm-hmm. Jean said that Sister Kathy once came to her and said gently, "Are the priests hurting you?" Um, so Teresa Lancaster, another alleged another survivor from Keough stated that on, on Halloween 1970, Maskell drove her to a popular location where students gathered. She said that I think there might have been like drinking. It was just sort of like kids being kids. But he drove her out there and they told the kids to all go home otherwise it was going to be serious. And two police officers arrived. Um, again, direct the directed the students to leave, and then they raped Teresa while Maskell waited outside the car. So... It's
1: fucking disgusting. Yeah,
0: and these two women um, were a part of a huge lawsuit in Baltimore against the Archdiocese. Um, so it's I think it's Jane Doe and Jane Rowe versus the Archdiocese of Baltimore, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, they actually didn't meet until, like... 2016 face-to-face. Especially for Jean. She had suppressed so much of those memories that she was really working with a therapist to try to regain those memories and didn't want any of Teresa's... To like. like, Well, I was going to say, any of the horror that Teresa had to interview... uh, Interview. Had to endure,
1: intervene with what she was trying to do with her therapist. It could kind of, like alter her memories in any way yeah
0: and that was obviously that would have been bad news bears. right um teresa and Jean have said that sister kathy was the only member of the school's staff who helped them and other girls abused by maskell and have said that she was murdered prior to discussing the matter with the archdiocese of baltimore currently there is no physical evidence linking maskell to the murder Um, However, the Baltimore Sun reported in late 2016 that since 2011, the Archdiocese has paid off numerous settlements to 16 of Maskell's alleged victims, totaling $472,000. Jean went through four years of abuse, Mm -hmm. and from everything that I've read, she... Maybe I shouldn't say this, but like it seems like she was the one who endured the most and was the one that he, like, he was like going after the mm. most for some reason. And I think it's be, I don't know what it was about her, but he would just, he constantly like want to fuck with her specifically. Right. And not to, you know, disregard or lessen anybody else's abuse, but, mm. um, with all that being said, she got, like, $50,000. Right. Like... That well, doesn't really... Like, okay, thank you. Right. Like, in in some ways, you know, I understand it's not about the money, but, like, therapy
1: is expensive. Right. Going to the doctor is expensive. I mean, losing half of your life to repress memories and now trying to remember them and just deal with, like trying to live a normal as life as possible after all of that. Doesn't yeah. really have a price. But well, 50, if it does fifty thousand dollars in it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well luckily Jean and Teresa both have incredibly supportive husbands. Yes. Um Teresa's husband is still with us, but unfortunately Jean's husband passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But he was her biggest cheerleader. He was her biggest protector. He was She says, like, when they first started, when they, even when they first got married, she was like, you know, I like you a lot, but I don't know if I love you. And he was like, that's okay. I'll take what I can get. Like, just, like, incredibly patient. Right. Teresa's husband, you know, has also been by her side as well. And, um, so obviously not all men.
1: Right. (laughs) And it's, it's a, it's, it is a. I would say, like, an undertaking to kind of walk with th- somebody through um, a life like that. Like, walk through that while they're, like, dealing with therapy, like, uncovering these repressed thoughts. Like, I'm sure, like, there's there's a lot of emotions that come with that. So, like, kind of being, being there for them when they need them, understanding that these emotions will come, like, being a shoulder to lean on, being whatever they need in that moment. It's not easy, and not everybody could do that. No, absolutely. And it takes a very...
0: Especially with with horrors in the way that these women mm-hmm. have had to suffer. You know, it's hard enough to talk about sexual harassment or sexual abuse with, like, your close friends, mm-hmm. let alone somebody of the opposite sex who who's your doesn't who's your partner who will probably never, like who will never most likely go through anything close to what you had to go right. through, but still to be able to have someone who is compassionate and understanding.
1: Yeah.
0: I, th- yeah, it's like really, I to me, like, again, like I am a religious person, but I'm also very spiritual. It's like, that is somebody like watching out for you and giving you the person that like you need yeah. to like hold on to, to weather the storm. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. So let's uh, talk a little bit about this motherfucker, Joseph Maskell. Oh lord, here we go. Oh, I'm gonna the get worst. I'm gonna get Keith Rainier mad. Oh, I'm gonna no. get fucking Cameron Oaker mad. Oh no. Oh, oh, this oh, motherfucker.
1: No. <laughs> oh, Ray's like, no, no, I don't like it. Well, I already know he's a fucking <laughs> piece of shit. So here no. we go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Lay it on me. Maskell was born into a true
0: Irish American family. From the time he was 15 years old, he was a priest in training. Instead of playing sports at the local park, he would literally say mass in his front yard. It's also a wild age to, like, make that decision. Well, he didn't make it for himself. His mother wanted him to be a priest so badly and, like, sort of pushed it on him. And then I think he just started taking it up because he felt like that's what he was supposed to do. Right. And also, you know, clearly this is a person who enjoys control. Mm-hmm. And he clearly saw the type of authority and power that the priests... Right. ...had in Baltimore. And,
1: you know, I'm sure he wanted that, too. Or I also think, like, I wonder if anything could have stemmed from the fact that he didn't feel like he had control over his life path. So this was... Like, almost, like, a way of taking back that control? I don't know. Perhaps, yeah. Just just something, a thought that came to mind. No,
0: that's the, I mean, that is a great point. Perhaps.
1: Maskell was ordained
0: on May 22nd, 1965, at the age of 26. When he started abusing Jean, just to put this into perspective, he was 29 years old. Right.
1: And so he got ordained the year that the school was opened as well. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Um, his peers described him as deeply intelligent and fascinated with psychology. In 1972, Maskell earned a master's degree in school of psychology from Towson State University. Mm-hmm. There you go, callback. Mm-hmm. And then a certificate of advanced study in counseling from John Johns Hopkins. Hop, whoa, Johns, John's Hopkins, Hopkins <laughs> <Hopskins> University. <laughs> Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins Hopkins. How am I saying? Hopkins. I think it's Hopkins. John's Hopkins. Wow. Oh. John, John's Hopkins. John's University. Hopkins. University. Yes, there, there it is. I can do it. I promise. <laughs> I'll get that. I'm a- sure I've been saying it Hopkins forever. <laughs> yeah. And sounding like an idiot. Yeah, you added the S in the wrong place. I am. Hopkins. It's like how I you added add, an extra S. How whenever I say the word, uh, oh, cardigan cardigan i say carn again no. i delete the d no <laughs> you add an n where he's looking at me with a sweet summer child like oh you sweet summer that, child Look, right
1: now. like no baby
0: i know but that's how everyone in my family says it
1: oh they're wrong too i know we're aware i didn't realize this until it together like five guys
0: years ago after he was ordained Maskell worked at Sacred Heart of Mary in Baltimore from 1965 to 1966, and then transferred to St. Clement Church in Lansdowne, where he worked from 1966 to 1968. And then he worked at Our Lady of Victory from 1968 to 1970, which is a church, but he was simultaneously working at Archbishop Keough um, from 1967 to 1975 as a counselor and the chaplain of the school. So prior to accusi- prior to accusations of sexual abuse against female students at Keio, Maskell was first accused of forcing an altar boy at St. Clement Church um, to drink wine before sexually abusing him. Uh, Charles Franz was the altar boy and his mother uh, came forward in 1967 and the next year instead of changing or removing Maskell from the ministry the Archdiocese of Baltimore simply removed him from St. Clement and sent him sent him to a neighboring parish
1: Our Lady of Victory sure makes sense cause like you know cause why would we take any other action this is exactly what the
0: movie Spotlight is all about. How, it's fantastic, but it really talks about how these very Catholic communities, um, Baltimore, Boston particularly, if they have a problem with a the priest, they just move them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. They So that they don't have to deal with it. They just move them right. around. So if you see a priest constantly moving around... You know, they have issues. There's an issue there. Major issues. Major issues, to say the least. fucking least. <laughs> Um there, his duties included acting as the moderator for the Catholic youth organization. when sent to Our Lady of Victory um again, that was when he was also assigned to the all to Keo um where his abuse where his abuse continued and became progressively worse, to say the least. Father Maskell wielded a lot of power at Keo. Because, once again, he was chaplain and the school counselor. Mm -hmm. He was also the chaplain at the police department, the National Air Guard, for the Maryland State Police, where his brother Tommy was a respected Baltimore PD officer. Hmm. So he had a lot of connections um, with law enforcement. A lot of pull, I'm sure. A lot of pull. When he was at keo and he would call girls over the loudspeaker the classrooms would usually fall silent and the other girls would look at whoever was called upon with sad eyes right um and the teachers would just send you um they some of them pretended like they didn't know what was Mm -hmm. going on but i'm sure a good chunk of them knew what was there was a definite awareness he mainly preyed on girls who had previous abuse in their lives. He would get your history... So he would call you in for a quote-unquote counseling session. Right. He would get your history, and then he would use it against you in the most manipulative way possible. So this is why I think I obviously have a theme with men who manipulate other people um, for their own pleasure and for the abuse of their power. So Keith Renier, Mm-hmm. Cameron Hooker. Our two favorites. Right. Just drives me crazy. It just drives me insane. Me too. Uh, uh, Yes. So at one point through... At one point through Jean's abuse, Maskell had started seeing her alone. She recalls him being incredibly angry with her because she, quote unquote, wasn't getting any better. She felt as if... So, her therapy and her abuse, he would say that he was abusing her to make her better so that she would stop being such a quote-unquote whore. Um, and so, for him to be like, well, you're you're just not getting any better. And sh- she said that he was just, like, yelling mm. at her um, the entire time. And again, just with, it was like taking out all of his anger on right. her. Um, yeah she felt as if he was always incredibly angry and upset about something and always, once again, took it out on her. Whenever he was done with one of his quote-unquote therapy sessions, as he liked to call it, he would just say to her, quote, pull yourself together and get back to class, unquote. True. Sure. I mean, a true sadist in, like, right. every way. Yeah. Um. At some point in her sophomore year... Maskell would start bringing people into the sexual abuse. So many of them were strangers to Jean, but ranged from fellow brothers to police officers. Maskell would get others to do things things to Jean while he stood by the door, almost as if he was her protector, um, which is something that Jean mentioned to Maskell that her uncle used to do. Mm -hmm. So because she had told him that previously he started to do it, And then, in a way, I'm sure it's like, oh, this is clearly, like, a pattern to her. But he's trying to make himself seem like,
1: I'm doing this for your own good type of a situation. He's, like, brainwashed her to think that he's trying to do this to help her or something like that. He's trying to break her. So not only we have the religious, like... Uh, people of power but now also like police officers and whatnot joining in so all these people that they she was like taught to trust growing up i mean even back to a family member Mm -hmm. are doing these same repeated behaviors so it's like who do you turn to it's your family your the authorities um, the religious authorities Mm -hmm. are all repeating the same behavior so who do you turn to and how do you not kind of rationalize it as this is just how it is. Ex-
0: yeah, exactly. Or this is what's just, this is what you just expect. Mm-hmm. Or I've done some, the way that she talks about it mainly is like, well, I've done something that I've made it this bad for myself. Right. She never did anything wrong. Exactly. No. Like, none of it was her fault. And it's so sad because that is a narrative that so many still feel even with even with situations that are not nearly as horrific or extreme as hers is. It's the, well, it's my fault. I did this. Like, mm-hmm. I was the one who did this. I wore this. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I, you know, and um, again, I'm just really glad that she was able to have a partner to help her cope and deal with a lot of the trauma in a very... Loving and supportive way. Mm-hmm. Maskell would also abuse other students in the way that he abused Jean. He would have guests sexually abuse the other students as well. So I, I they never I never saw like a number of how many people were affected. But at one point when they were building this this case against the archdiocese, um, Jean and Teresa, I believe and their lawyers got a roster, I think from Keo, from like 19, essentially the entire time the mask was there. So 67 to 75 and just sent it out to everybody and just to everybody and said, you know, if you have a story, you know, please send in, you know, your own experiences. Um, obviously like don't send in other people's experiences, but, um, you know, send in, if you know anything about anything, they didn't say Maskell specifically, but they, right. you know, if there was anything that happened to you, I forget exactly how they put it, but essentially it was, it was like that. It was like, please feel free to write in anom- anonymously or not. You know, your story is safe with us. Mm-hmm. We are trying to make this right, essentially. Right. Um, in the small way that they could. Mm-hmm. And they just said that letters just started pouring in, just pouring in, which I'm sure was incredibly overwhelming, especially for somebody like Jean or Teresa, who, like, didn't really know that this was happening to other people. Right. And that type of experience can be very isolating, but to see that there is a common thread. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, so I wasn't alone this entire time. Maskell recruited Lil Hughes... A student, another student at Kyoto, to type up all of his "quote unquote" therapy sessions mm-hmm. with her classmates. Many of the reports she wrote down for him referred to him helping the girls by taking them to a gynecologist, Christian Richter. And also in these reports, he would go into very graphic and explicit sexual detail. And in a way, it's he was. I think that I that is definitely another type of sexual abuse towards Lil because now she has to sit next to these listen to all this listen to all of it and sit next to these girls in her class mm-hmm. who she's like oh like you had to go to the gynecologist cuz you got the clap or like right. whatever because you sleep around mm-hmm. and so he was manipulating her still in a psychological way but just in a different way and the fact that he was so into psychology is, like, very telling of, um, of what he, how he was using that skill into continuing to abuse and break these poor girls down. The night before Sister Kathy went missing, Maskell and Magnus barged into her apartment without knocking. Allegedly, Maskell looked furious and Magnus looked dumb, Uh, (laughs) um, according to both dumb looking. Just very dumb. And I was like, I was like, oh, savage. Stupid. Um, uh, According to a student who was actually currently there at Sister Kathy's apartment with her boyfriend, um, the student was visiting Sister Kathy that evening uh, to talk about the abuse that she was going through from Maskell. Mm -hmm. Um, And as soon as they both arrived. They sent the student out of the apartment, you know, and told her to go home. Right. Um, as soon as they barged in through the front door. Um, the next day, Maskell called that same student into his office and allegedly told her, quote, if you say anything, I'll kill both of you and your families, unquote. I guess it's not obvious, but to me, Maskell definitely had a hand in Sister Kathy's disappearance. Now, I'm going to go over a couple of other suspects, too. But he ha- if he didn't directly have a hand in it, he was the puppet master pulling all the strings mm-hmm. to make it happen. You know, he's he passed away in 2001, I think. And... Uh, You know, so obviously he's not around anymore to actually uh, ask him any of these questions. And his body was exhumed in 2017 to compare him to some of the data, uh, DNA that they still had from the case. And Mm -hmm. none of it matched. That does not mean that he comes off scot-free. Right. um, With her disappearance specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another suspect in this case is a gentleman that is a gentleman named Edgar Davidson. So Edgar was accused of the murder by his first wife, who spoke to the Keeper's interviewers under the condition of anonymity at her niece's behest. Um, After Edgar, who had abused his wife and displayed erratic behavior in the past, arrived home one evening covered in blood um, on the night of Kathy's disappearance, his first wife immediately suspected him. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Christmas that same year, Ed gave his wife a wedding bell necklace inlaid with a stone that was not her birthstone, which his family now believes was the engagement present that Sister Kathy was out buying her sister that night of her disappearance. Yep. Um, Kathy's sister has since now, um, Kathy's sister's, Mar- I believe her name is Marilyn has since stated that the birthstone and the necklace fits her now husband's birthstone. Mm -hmm. And the interview with his first wife is like, I didn't understand, like, why he would give me this wedding bell, you know, it's more of a newlyweds present. And it's not even my birthstone. Right, and it, apparently, it didn't have any special meaning to her. No, and apparently she never even, like, wore it. She just, like, kept it in her jewelry right, box like and never wore it. She was like,
1: that's strange. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Not at
0: all. Yeah. Um, it seems that Edgar actively encouraged his wife's suspicions, chuckling and making odd comments while the news broadcasts, broadcast about Sister Kathy's disappearance played on the TV. Edgar drove a car with both feet, which lines up with the fact that there was mud found on the left pedal of Kathy's car, mm-hmm. which was found
1: abandoned again also after tri- her... Sorry, driving with both feet. So that would mean he would have one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake, and use yeah. both? hmm
0: so, so his weird. <laughs> right foot is
1: on the gas, his left foot is on the brake. That's so weird. <laughs> it's odd, for sure. Like, uh, I, would, I would get all mixed up and called an accident <laughs> no i it's so much easier just to do yeah. it with one foot and they're, they're like purposely placed over here so it would, i don't know exactly it's just awkward but yes yeah. completely is he the one in the documentary that's like have, has this like really like soft voice and he's like i don't know like you know what i'm talking about he's like real scraggly looking yes and he's like he talks like there's something wrong with him yes they do interview him
0: in the documentary um he does have some dimension.
1: He's, like, not mm, yeah. all, like, fully there. Right. Like, something... He, he talks, like, very, like... Uh, like, like kind of, like, soft and, like... The, but, yeah, it's very clear
0: he's, like, not fully present right. here during his interview. Absolutely. Yeah. Edgar also called into a radio show after the murder to say that he knew where Kathy's rosary was. Not to mention the man the man's criminal record which includes car theft and cruising around middle schools attempting to lure young girls into his car yeah. and apparently he was very well known for being creepy go- while well, being a pedophile and going yeah. going after young very young girls mm. um So, because Edgar is still alive, the Keeper's filmmakers caught up to him to ask him a couple of questions about his potential involvement. Though he corroborated several aspects of the crime on camera, Edgar maintains that he did not kill Sister Kathy. Whether the now elderly man still has his facilities about him is also in question. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people on social media have expressed their discomfort while watching Watching his interviews due to the fact that Edgar, once again, does not seem like he's all there. I believe he has, like, some form of dementia. Right. Edgar Davidson was sort of outed by his niece um, and his first wife Mm -hmm. about potentially being a suspect for Sister Kathy's murder, but also um, a gentleman, uh, so Billy Smith also was outed by his family as well Mm -hmm. for potentially being a suspect, which honestly, like, Part of me is like, hey, good on that family for being like, something is not lining up, and this needs to get solved. Right. So, um,
1: Family or not. I mean, it still hasn't
0: (laughs) been solved, but, you know. So, Billy Schmidt was an eccentric man who lived across the hall from Sister Kathy and Sister Russell. Mm -hmm. Um, He was accused of the murder years later by his former sister-in-law. According to this sister-in-law... Billy dated a man only known as Skippy who frightened her and fanned the flame of Billy's particular uh, particularities and insensibilities that may have gotten both Billy and her husband involved in something violent. Um, So Billy was sort of the black sheep of the family because he was also gay. This is the mid-60s and, like, Mm -hmm. especially in Baltimore, like...
1: Religious.
0: Yeah, incredibly religious. Lots of, I'm sure, hate mm-hmm. towards him. Um, so. Uh, and so she was married to Billy's brother. Um, so when Billy's brother arrived home covered in blood one night around the time of the disappearance, without decent without a decent explanation, and then descended into an alcoholic spiral, she immediately began to suspect that he and his brother had something to do with the killing. Also, this sounds very similar to Edgar's, you know, claims from Edgar's Mm ex-wife. Came home bloody, started drinking. Right. You know, the whole situation. So a lot of people think that perhaps the three of them were involved in some way, shape, or form. Um But I'm not totally sure if they all are, or even if any of them are. Right.
1: I mean, we can't be sure, really. We,
0: we certainly can't, but... uh Billy's brother cited the fact that, quote, we killed a girl and buried her behind the shop, unquote, as a reason for his drinking. And Billy had something of a mental breakdown following the event. Um He started keeping... uh So, one thing, for example... He started keeping a nun's habit on a mannequin in his apartment. And he would and he would um babble about a woman in his attic, mm-hmm. which I'm like, Ugh. I don't like
1: that. <laughs> That's uh very it's very eerie.
0: Incredibly eerie. Uh and Billy actually ended up dying by suicide mm-hmm. only a few months after the murder. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh Ad, so also billy was a smoker of a very specific type of cigarette brand that matched a butt found near Kathy's body mm-hmm. and it seems possible he could have been involved with Kathy's death however internet sleuths have internet however internet sleuths have taken issue with several parts of the story involving billy namely the fact that billy's sister-in-law wasn't concerned with her own husband who showed up covered in blood on the night of the disappearance, but was mainly focusing on Billy. Mm -hmm. And in addition, Billy, who again was gay, was not involved with the Catholic Church and therefore had no reason to participate in a cover-up plot. Mm -hmm. The fact that Billy wasn't Catholic seems pretty significant to me. If it was to cover up priest abuse, he had no motive. And I wonder if... Perhaps he witnessed something and then was coerced or threatened into burying the body or something along those lines. Or perhaps um, he and his boyfriend were found out uh, making out or by a police officer. And then they told him, "Okay, we won't arrest you if you do this for us. Um, I could very much see that. But him doing it on his own accord. Absolutely not. Right. Uh, So last but not least of the suspects is a mysterious figure that goes by the name Brother Bob. Mm -hmm. So one day during Jean's abuse, Father Maskell introduced her to Brother Bob. She's not sure if that was his real name or not. Regardless, Brother Bob was a loose cannon, incredibly violent, and Father Maskell watched the entire time while he abused her um in a later meeting with brother bob Jean gene claims that he told her that he was the one who killed sister kathy he killed her because she was going to go to the police and that brother bob blamed Jean for sister kathy's death quote if you hadn't said anything she would still be alive unquote maskell came back into the room and asked him if he took care of everything he says yes Jean has stated that she is more scared of Brother Bob because she does know who this person is and doesn't know if he's still out there. Right. Um, So that is a huge point in why a lot of people believe that Kathy did die was because she was going to blow the whistle on everything that was going on. And they wanted to shut her up. And essentially she was just making lives hard, the lives hard of these very small, horrible men. Mm Mm-hmm. And they didn't like that. They didn't They didn't like that a woman, a nun nonetheless, who was below them as, like, allegedly as, you know, priests, right. if it... Like rank. By rank, and also, again, just a woman being subservient to, you know, submissive to men. It's just, yeah, it's, um, it's so sad because, like, she was going, she was trying to do the right thing. Right. And then she was never able... To, she, cause she, you know, was right. never like, able to. So in terms of brother Bob's appearance, um, Jean can only recall that he had a small incision on one side of his abdomen mm-hmm. and a birth birthmark on the other. Um, and that he just had like dark hair and was like tall. Right. Um, for the identity of this mysterious figure, several names have been thrown into the mix. First of all, an Uncle Bobby mentioned by um, Billy Schmidt's nephew in an interview described the events he believed leading up to disposing of Sister Kathy's corpse. Mm -hmm. This Uncle Bobby allegedly kept um, Billy, the nephew, occupied by shooting a gun in a trash pile while Billy and Skippy took a large object, rolled in a blanket or a rug out into the woods. Mm-hmm. It should also be mentioned that Kathy's body was found between the Schmidt household and their family business, mm-hmm. um, which were about five wi- five miles away from one another. But right in the middle was that landfill and that's where she was found. Right. And he would have been very familiar with that I mean anyone a part of that family would have been very familiar with that area Mm -hmm. so that's the only way where I'm like okay that might fit right a little bit Um, another figure that could be brother Bob is Maskell's longtime friend another priest named Reverend Robert G. Hawkins who sheltered Maskell in his own church after he was accused of child molestation while he was shipped off to another Catholic parish in Ireland. Um, which happened, I believe, in the eighties is when he was sent to Ireland. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because again, he was bouncing around everywhere and at one point they were like Alright, well we don't want we don't know what to do with you, so we'll send you to another country right. and essentially make them your you're their problem now. Right. Um because it's I don't understand this, like, thought process of it being worse to, like, take ownership for one of your priests literally being a piece of shit. Right. Than sending
1: them... I just don't understand, like... Like, maybe they think it's gonna, like, uh, discredit, like, the belief
0: in... Yeah, but especially nowadays, like, people know those signs, so... Yeah. It's gonna happen. The the discredit... The discreditation is going to happen anyway. Right. uh, Robert Hawkins was quoted to have said, I think he's really a casualty of the times. He said he can't function as a priest around here anymore. Hawkins told the Baltimore Magazine through tears while discussing Maskell's treatment by the public after the abuse allegations. I mean, I don't... If that doesn't sound... Like, sympathetic towards a child rapist Because you are also a child rapist Mm
1: -hmm. I literally don't know what does Right Allegedly, allegedly Allegedly. Please don't, please don't Please me For anything else
0: Uh, It is also, it's also been thought that perhaps Billy Schmidt's boyfriend Skippy May have been one of Maskell's associates in the child abuse ring Mm Mm-hmm and was known as Brother Bob when introduced to victims. This would explain the connection between the Schmitz and Maskell. And therefore, a potential motive for their involvement in Kathy's killing. Because, again, they don't know if Bob was actually his name or right. if it was a made-up name. Right. To me, personally, the two that seem the most um, plausible... Yeah, the m- the most plausible of who this mysterious Brother Bob could have been... Is the Reverend and Skippy? Mm. Um, because actually, they never actually say whether or not Skippy was gay or bi or straight or whatever. Right? They said that he was Billy's boyfriend, so mm-hmm. we don't know. Um. So, uh, there are a few other ki- like names in the mix for the killers. Um, if not one or more of the five like the five people that I mentioned above. Kathy's murder could also boil down to another killer. Um, some of them have outlined, some of them have been outlined by online detectives. Um, and they are such as follows. Dr. Christian Richter, who was the OBGYN who quote unquote treated many of Maskell's Mm -hmm. abuse victims. Um, officer Skinnell, the first police officer on the scene when Kathy's body was found. I'm not, I don't really believe that one, mm-hmm. personally. Um, Pete McKinnon, who was Jerry Coop's friend, who had the alibi that they were hanging out that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, Father Neil Magnus, of course. Um, and Maskell's brother, who was a Baltimore police officer. Yeah, um, Sister Russell was also a person of interest. Some believe she was tied up. Was some of the priests accused in some way. Other believes that she knew a lot more than she let on and that she and sister Kathy left Keogh because of all the information that they had about the sexual abuse that was going on at the school. Mm-hmm. Um, many people who have been interviewed about sister Russell Russell have said she knows more than what she's letting on. I know that she does. Right. Um, another <clears> suspect <throat> is Jerry Coob who had that close relationship with Kathy mm-hmm. Um, Well, they
1: they were said to be, like, dating, right? Or, like, they
0: they liked each other. They... Yes, but because they were both a part of the Order, um, he actually, a few months before she... When she... Before she... He actually, a few months before she disappeared, um, asked her to... Because she was coming up on taking her final vows Mm -hmm. as a nun. And he asked her to... Leave and be married, be his wife and be married with him. And she told him, no, she, she said, you know, you're meant to be a priest. And I, he was like a a year away from being ordained. She was Mm -hmm. like, you're meant to be a priest. I'm meant to be a nun and we will go on that way. Right. And, um, he reads in the documentary, this letter that she wrote him about Mm -hmm. how it's very sexually intimate Um, and more intimate than I think that, I don't want to say, like, I think it should be, because who am I to say, but it's a lot more intimate than anything else that she's, she ever wrote him. I mean, she would write him poems and things like Mm -hmm. that, but in this letter, she talks about, like, menstruation and having his children and, like, Mm -hmm. running away together and tells him that she loves him. (sighs) One of the facts that doesn't really add up with me about Jerry and Sister Kathy's relationship is... If all this abuse was going on, why wouldn't she say anything to him if he's, like, her best friend? But I also can understand that, like, as a, as a woman and also knowing that uh, because she is so close with him, perhaps having the fear that he was involved in some way. Um, I'm sure that crossed her mind. But then right. also... What if he ran to his brothers or to Father Maskell and it's like, hey, they're coming for you. Right. Um, And she just didn't want to take that risk. And also, you know, again, once again, we talk about the time period all the time, but it's the middle of the 60s. There is a huge feminist revolution that is happening. But in certain areas of the country, like Baltimore, that is super religious, you just don't like... I hate to say it, but you like don't talk about... Abuse with mixed company, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, or you didn't really. Now, I'm not saying that that's right, but right.
1: it is what it is.
0: Quite a few things have happened after Kathy's disappearance, um, particularly in 1995. Teresa Lancaster and Jean Werner filed a lawsuit against Father Maskell, the school, and the gynecologist Christian Richter, the school sisters of Notre Dame, the Archdiocese of Baltimore, and William H. Keller, who, um, was like the head of all the things Mm -hmm. you know of course accusing Maskell um of sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and the trial the trial court dismissed the action by time barred by statute of limitations and the plaintiffs appealed to be able to actually go to court the reason why that was able to happen is because uh, memory regression therapy was starting to become a big thing and like i think like 23 states or something like that had just uh, said that they would allow any uh, memories that came up in those therapy sessions to be allowed in court. Yeah. So even though uh, like limitations on the time from when the abuse happened had obviously long passed because Jean and Teresa had just remembered a lot of everything that happened, Mm -hmm. it was still within the Statue of Limitations. Right. Um, Which I'm like, yes, hell yeah. Um, So Jean says that two months before Sister Kathy's body was discovered and only a day or two after Sister Kathy had disappeared in November of 1969, Maskell drove her to a wooded site, Maskell drove her to a wooded site near Fort Meade and showed her the body. Jean says she remember repeatedly uh, trying to brush the maggots off, crawling on Sister Kathy's face while she frantically repeated the words, help me, help me. Father Maskell brought her out here to essentially show her, like, if she doesn't behave, what's going to happen to her. And she recalls later him saying, "quote Do you see what happens when you say bad things about people?" unquote. Jesus. Yep. Uh, her account was brought into question by scientific evidence showing that it would have been impossible for maggots to be alive at the rel- at that time of year. However, um, Spitz, who worked on the case, uh, the forensic forensic um, pathologist, mm-hmm. uh. Later confirmed that there had been maggots in both the victims' mouths, and trachea when found. Mm. Um, meteorological records also reveal, reveal that temperatures during that week in question were warm enough for maggots to hatch. Yeah. Um, the Huffington Post reported that Maskell told Gene, "Again, you see what happens when you see ba- when you say bad things about people." Unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, as we discussed earlier, several days later on November thirteenth, nineteen sixty nine, the bo- body of Joyce Malecki, who was twenty years old, who looked like Jean and Kathy, mm-hmm. um, was discovered by two hunters, and, two hunters in the same wooded area where Maskell had driven Jean. Um, in twenty sixteen, the Baltimore County Police Department reassigned the case due to retiring officers. I mean, it's literally a case that's been going on for, like, almost 50 years right. at that point. Prompting new interviews, new eyes, and further investigation into the alleged sexual abuse at KEO. After obtaining permission from the state's attorney office, the BCPD exhumed the body of Maskell, who died from a major stroke in 2001. But did not find the DNA match to... Did not find a DNA match to evidence from the crime scene. Policewoman Elise Amzakost mm. announced that this discovery does not exclude Maskell from being a sub- suspect in the case. Once again, it is unsolved still. Um, but I'm hoping that in the future we do actually have some closure. Some not just for Sister Kathy's family, but for her students and for the survivors of right. Keo. Um, to be able once again to get some closure and you know her chosen family to be able to at least know what happened. absolutely so that is the very sad um, case of the disappearance of murder
1: of sister Kathy Sesnick. It doesn't get less crazy anytime I hear it. It definitely doesn't cause I've watched the I've watched the series twice mm-hmm. and it's just. I think the the most frustrating part is the fact that there's still not any closure. And like you said, this has been going on for such a long time. And the fact that during the um, docuseries that, like, really frustrated me is that Maskell uh, passed away before he was, he was never um, held accountable for what he had done.
0: No, and the, you know, all the way up. From the time that the allegations came out and the lawsuit started to the time that he died, he just constantly was calling them liars Mm -hmm. and denied any
1: any claims. Mm -hmm. And apparently he would get, like,
0: angry about
1: it. Yeah. Which... He seemed like quite the angry person. Does not surprise me. Quite the piece of shit. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Quite the piece of shit. Quite um well shall we do a little palette cleanser yeah let's do it do you have any fun recommendations for this week
1: um i don't know i'm I'm trying to think i don't think i have any show recommendations i'm trying to think if i've watched anything new like i think i've just been continuing what what i've been watching um but i did listen to lil nas x his new album (gasps) it's so good and i really yeah i really enjoyed it like I think, I've i enjoyed, like, every song that's on it, and I think it's really good, and I just, I, I really, really like really him, good. and I like the way he is so, like, unapologetically himself, and just, like, his, like, music videos are always, like, pushing the envelope, and...
0: Yeah, absolutely, and honestly, more representation.
1: Yeah. And I think just, also, just, the way he, like, came up, like, from Old Town Road, like, over TikTok, like, just the way he's, like, transformed since then. I just think it's a really cool, like, journey he's had. And this album was just, it was, like, hit after hit. So I really enjoyed it. So that's what I would recommend is listening to that. I've been watching uh, this new show
0: on Hulu. It's, like, seven episodes in now, so it's not that new. But um, it's called Nine Perfect Strangers. It's based off this book. It stars (laughs) Nicole Kidman, Melissa McCarthy, and a lot of other huge Hollywood actors and actresses that you'll immediately be able to recognize. Including Jason from The Good Place. Love him. Uh, It's really, really good. I mean, I thought maybe, like, two weeks ago, I was like, I don't know if I'm really going to continue being into this. Yeah. It's gotten a lot better. And it really sort of um, takes apart, like, how we as people deal with trauma and, like, how... It can really affect our lives in ways that we don't really realize. So, yeah. I'd definitely suggest that if you get if you get the Hulu. So, thank you guys for joining us on
1: this uh, ride. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um Ray, do you want to tell the good people where they can find us? Uh, I can at The Midnight Record on uh, TikTok and Instagram, at TMR Pod on Twitter, and The Midnight Record at gmail.com.
0: Also, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us with not only just feedback from you guys, but also gets us on the charts, which is super fun, and also gets Mm -hmm. more people to know about the podcast. Yeah. Um, The more the merrier. Yeah, we are fully in spooky season. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, if you have a true crime uh, friend out there who doesn't know about the pod, send it over to
1: them. Yeah, people who get scared easily, send them an episode. Spook (laughs) them. It's spooky season. Uh, Spook (laughs) them.
0: Anyway, well, thanks for listening, and um, until next time. I'll see you at midnight. I'll see you at midnight. Yep.